0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Heart Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Valdery. On this episode, I speak with Christina Wallace, who is a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, a serial entrepreneur and author of the recent book, The Portfolio Life, How to Future Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout and Build a Life Bigger than your business card. As you can imagine, this is going to be increasingly important for workers everywhere to learn how to do this, especially with the coming uh, C that is AI. Uh, All of these conversations I've been having recently on my video essays about debt crises and the intersection of that with gender and patriarchy and all these things. It's fascinating to look at it through a different lens, which is the entrepreneurial lens, which is certainly a lens through which I see as well. I have a company, I have a startup, as I think most of you know, called Theory of Enchantment. So it's very interesting to speak with Christina about her perspective, having existed in the entrepreneurial space for so long, having been a part of venture capital ecologies that often are invested in unfettered growth, which is fundamentally unsustainable. So we got into all of that. I think you will enjoy this episode as a result. It's a bit on the shorter side, so it's shorter than a lot of my interviews. But I still very much enjoyed speaking with Christina and be sure to check out her book uh, if you get a chance. Again, the name of that book is The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card." And with that, here's the episode. Welcome, Christina.
1: (sighs) Thank you. Yeah. How are you? I'm well. Where are you geographically?
0: I'm in New York City oh the capital is it of the world some
1: is say. it nice and warm today that tank top seems <laughs> to indicate summer weather
0: yes it's a lovely 73 degrees outside Ooh. nice and this past weekend was the first time in the entirety of the fullness of the seasons that it was park weather from mm. the past year so that For was so sure. really lovely
1: where in new york are you i'm in brooklyn Where in brooklyn I'm in Bushwick. Ah, the cool part of Brooklyn. I lived in Prospect Heights for like 12 years.
0: Cool. I was just at Prospect Park yesterday. So there you go.
1: I miss it. I miss it dearly. We've been up here in Cambridge for two years now. Oh, two years. And, uh, yeah. It's not that long. It's not. It's long enough to miss to miss Brooklyn. Mm. Um, but it's just a lot easier. It's just it, easier. How, how is
0: it easier for you? Uh
1: we have two kids and um we have a car. We have two cars, we have a driveway, we have a washer dryer in our apartment (laughs) there. You can drive to the grocery store, right? Like there, each little thing is just a little bit easier when you've got kids, when you have young ones and you have to schlep everything like, yeah, it adds up in New York. It can be
0: taxing. I know I have a (laughs) group of friends who have kids who moved to New Jersey during COVID. Mm -hmm. They might be moving back. (laughs) I don't know. I'll ask Keep them your fingers crossed, yeah, make yeah. sure
1: they uh, live near a subway stop that actually has an elevator. We were off of Grand oh. Army Plaza and there is no elevator there.
0: Huh. You would. think. Yeah, that they would you would be...
1: think you would think.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> I appreciate it. Speaking of family life and mm-hmm. navigating all the contours of the complexities of one life, one's life, you are very interesting thinker, writer, serial entrepreneur, which I want to learn more about, especially because sure. I'm an entrepreneur as well. I can't say I'm a serial one.
1: Uh, <laughs> you but... just have to fail once or twice and start again, and then oh. you can be a serial one. Oh, well, then technically I might be. There you go.
0: Okay. So a, I am a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> Awesome. I'm just going to read your bio because sure, I, I think that that would be solid to have the audience get to know you. So you are a senior lecturer of entrepreneurial management at Harvard Business School. You're an angel investor. You're author of The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card. You're also a self-described human Venn diagram. Um, I don't know what that means, so I'm going to ask you to tell me what that
1: means. (laughs) Happy to. So you're familiar with a Venn diagram, right? The classic meme, a couple of overlapping circles, what happens at those intersections. So I came up with this phrase, human Venn diagram. I don't know, like a dozen years ago or so, I was building my first company. I was an entrepreneur right out of business school. And I was going to all of these investor like meetings and networking things. And everyone gives you like 30 seconds to, you mm-hmm. know, say who you are and what you're building. And I was really struggling because I had been a double major, a triple minor in undergrad. I had kind of done all these things. I worked in opera before business school. Oh. I'd been a theater director. I was a musician, but I was also like a math nerd and I was building a fashion company. Company and I was like, okay, <laughs> if I say all of that in thirty seconds, they're going to be like, this chick is a hot mess. Like yeah. she's a dilettante, she can't focus. Uh, yeah, but if I don't tell you what makes me special and what makes me positioned to win in building this company, I'm going to be completely forgettable. I'm going to be like mm-hmm. any other you know founder that you met tonight, and so. Finally, one night after a couple of glasses of wine, I was like, you know what? I'm a human Venn diagram. And the investor I was talking to goes, huh, so you're interdisciplinary. Interesting. Mm. Tell me more. And I was like, aha, this is, (laughs) oh, that's the goal of any introduction. Tell me more. And so I started using this phrase. I said, I'm a human Venn diagram and I've built my career at the intersection of business technology and the arts. Mm. So that I can share, you know, bits and pieces of of that resume of, of a thing I did here or a venture I built there, but they all make sense under this larger umbrella that this was an intentional and strategic path that I have been building from day one, not me bouncing around in a pinball machine because I can't make up my mind. So that's where that phrase comes from. But as I write in the book, I think everyone is a human Venn diagram. I I don't think I am special only in that I have never lost that willingness, that excitement to keep all of these pieces front and center. And I think a lot of other people, you know, you see kids, they have all these interests, they have all of these directions that they want to go down. And then as we grow up and we're told to focus and be serious and commit to something, we kind of pare back Mm. those curiosities or those hobbies or those other things that make us feel like us. And we kind of put them away Mm -hmm. and say, okay, well now I'm going to be serious. And I think we need to excavate them, bring them back to the forefront. That is what I think is actually going to help us future proof Because we're going to all have to zig and zag a lot more than we thought we would in the world that we are now in.
0: That's so true. I'm curious for you because I have a startup called Theory of Enchantment and we Mm -hmm. basically are trying to create a video game that will basically be able to create a more integrated anti-racist society. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of artistic uh, sourcing that we put in the course, in our online course. Uh, For example, when we teach people about things like parental baggage, we might have people think about or listen to a song by John Mayer where he's talking Mm. about his relationship with his parents Mm -hmm. or uh, a song by another prominent artist and like do prompt questions based upon that interaction with this artistic uh, product. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what role what is the percentage of how arts is at the forefront background of, of what you do? You mentioned you have a theater background, an opera background. So like, how does that show up in the work that you do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly I started... Uh, my life with the arts front and center. I trained as a classical musician in piano, cello, and voice for 17 Mm. years. I went off to an arts boarding school. I was sort of, that was the path I was on. And then when it came time to go to college, I had this realization of like, I don't want to spend six, seven, eight hours a day in a rehearsal studio practicing. Like there are all these other things that I want to do. And if I go to conservatory, I can't do them. And so Mm. I went off to college instead, and that's where I studied theater and math and had music and poli sci and physics. So I, I kind of had all these things going on, but still intended to build my career in the arts. I was going to be a theater director. I worked in opera, but I got to a point I had been in the nonprofit arts mm. and that's a business model. That's really struggling. It It is today. It has been, it was when I was starting out years ago. It's just not a world that is really Sustainable, unless you have another source of income, unless you have family money or you have a partner who is kind of carrying the load. The nonprofit performing arts world is just not a really sustainable place. And so I. I had to put it on the back burner as I mm. looked for other ways to fund my life, other other pieces to be kind of front and center in terms of how I, I paid for everything. Yeah. And the arts became much more of, of hobbies and volunteering and ways for me mm. to keep it in my life, but not require it to be monetized. Okay, and, and that gave me room to breathe. So I still sing in choirs. I invest in Broadway productions, so I get to still be involved uh, from a commercial side. And then I get to be a lot more creative with going after things that like don't have to sustain me. If I want to go and do a reading of a new play by Lauren Gunderson that is focused on sort of our obsession with guns in America, like I can do that and let it be more of a creative pursuit than a career.
0: Awesome. So this is a great segue to discuss what you call the four pillars of a portfolio life. Um, In your new book, you say Mm -hmm. the following. Um, It contains these four pillars. Separating work from identity, which I think Mm -hmm. you sort of alluded to here. Embracing optionality. Mm -hmm. de-risking through diversification, Mm -hmm. and gaining flexibility. So can you walk me through each one of those and maybe tease out what you mean by each of those?
1: Sure. So it really does start with identity because so many people see themselves as their work, as their jobs, right? And not just even the broader category of their work, but as the title that's on their LinkedIn today. Mm -hmm. And that is... Really limiting and actually really dangerous, in my opinion, because if you work for someone else, that job can be taken away from you. And
0: just like that, right?
1: Just Just like like that. that, Yeah. Yeah. And if you work for yourself, like you still, it can, it can still go bust. It can still go belly up. So, so seeing yourself beyond just your paid labor is crucial. Mm. And particularly if you get to these moments, as I did early on, where who I am and how I, pay for my life aren't necessarily the same thing, right? That there's freedom and saying, like, I love this. This is an important part of me. I'm not going to monetize it. I'm going to find other ways that to build a really sustainable, supportive life. And I'm going to keep this around me and in me in other avenues. So it starts from your identity and really seeing yourself as more than one thing and giving yourself that permission. Then if you are more than one thing, it's really easy to understand you can do more than one thing. This is where optionality comes in. I think a lot of people have this perception that, you know, when you're young, the sky's the limit. You could be an astronaut. You could be president. You could play for the NBA. But as you grow up, you start making choices, doors close, and you end up kind of on this, what can feel like a very narrow path. And I disagree that it's actually that narrow. Okay. Part of what makes it feel really narrow is when you've focused your identity more and more on just what you do. If you could have that expansive identity and you see, you know, who am I and what do I bring to the table? There are actually so many more options available to you that can really give you choices. Mm -hmm. And that becomes really important when you think about diversification and risk. So we do this in our financial portfolios. No one thinks twice about having a little bit of money in stocks, a little bit of money in bonds, a little bit in cash. Like, of course, you're not going to put all of your money in one thing. And yet we don't apply diversification to our careers or many other areas of our lives. And so the point of diversification is that there's a lot that's unknown. There's a lot coming in the future that we can't predict. And you need to have a certain level of risk built mm. into your portfolio if you're going to want to have the type of returns that will help sustain you. And if you're going to have risk, that means it might not work. That means there might be failures or or things that kind of fall apart. And as long as you have Multiple assets in play, multiple irons in the fire, it doesn't matter if one doesn't pan out. The diversification keeps you afloat. And so it's that same principle applied to your life. What all do you have from an income point of view, a network point of view, and also just a fulfillment point of view? Do you have your health taken care of, your relationships, your growth, your community? To make sure that you don't lose everything the day you get laid off. Yeah. So how are you diversifying your whole life, not just your career? And then the the last piece is the flexibility that it gives you. So you are going to go through chapters of your life, phases Mm -hmm. where you need different things when you're young and uh, independent and single and you don't have any, you know, no one needs you to pay the mortgage yet you have a certain set of freedoms and you might also have other limitations being where you are in your career or your industry or your geography you're going to go through other seasons and suddenly those needs will shift the flexibility might shift and so being able to design Mm -hmm. and then rebalance redesign your life for each of these seasons says this isn't forever. This is just for now. What do I need? What do I want? And how do I put the pieces together that fit this season?
0: I'm curious if there is a, if there can be rather a kind of not conflation is not the right word I'm looking for, but two distinct set of values that are surfacing specifically within the world of business. So as an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, a lot of the messages that I am constantly receiving, basically promote a value system of, let's say, unfettered growth, right? Like as an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, that's what I want to pursue. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, being in right relationship with the seasonality of one's life, the life cycle of one's life, cycles of one's Mm -hmm. life, right? The birth and death and rebirth that inevitably is just a part of the nature of life. These seem to me to be too Somewhat opposing set of values. So, how in our field can mm-hmm. we take what you're saying inside an ecosystem that can be very allergic <laughs> to that idea in the first place?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love that you asked this question because you are right that in our field, there is this sense of like up and to the right. Yeah. <laughs> up and to the right, right? Like yeah. all in. Thank God it's Monday. Yeah. Grind, hustle <laughs> yeah. up and to the right. Yeah. And I think. First of all, I think that mentality is promoted in many ways by venture capital and that entire culture. Mm-hmm. And I get frustrated by that because, you know, investors who are saying go all in, grow at all costs, all these things, investors are diversified, right? They've got lots of different bets in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly unbiased feedback for them to want you to go all in and run as fast as you can because if you burn out or you fail or whatever this doesn't like they don't care right they got other things so it's I take what investors say with a grain of salt because Mm -hmm. and I am now I'm an angel investor I love supporting startups but like they have different economics in play than you do Mm -hmm. and I think related to that there are absolutely seasons of life. And if you think that you're going to just go as fast as possible for as long as you can, the reality of like the organisms and the biology yeah. of who you are are going to smack you in the face one day because you you will burn out. You yeah. will burn out. No athlete runs a marathon every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just don't. And You know, rest is a key part of how they design their training cycle. And that's when they're getting ready for a marathon, let alone the space they take between marathons. And I think anything that expects constant up into the right growth. Uh, is divorced from biology. Mm. And it's not a pattern that I think it's worth following. So I fully recognize there are chapters of your life. There are chapters of your business where it's like, okay, let's go all in hustle. Sure. And then you might realize that you're approaching a season where that doesn't fit. So this happened to me. I was building companies for 10 years And it was an amazing decade. I learned so much, experienced so much. I failed so much. It was a wonderful 10 years. And then my husband and I wanted to have a child. Mm -hmm. And I knew I I was at a point where either I needed to start a new company or I need to do something else. I knew that what kind of mother I wanted to be was not consistent with the type of entrepreneur I needed to be if I were going to go start something new at that point. And I decided this is not the season for that. And that is why I joined the faculty at Harvard Business School to teach entrepreneurship and to advise startups and to be part of this ecosystem and still tapped in, but in a way that's just a lot more sustainable for this season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are giving birth to something new. Yes, <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> quite literally, yes. And have you sensed that there has been a shift in the world of whether it's venture capital or business in general to make space for the wisdom that you're <laughs> <laughs> that you're talking about right now, or is there still a lot of hesitation? And I I do wonder, especially with this new AI front coming, what will the value yeah. system <laughs> look like given that new technology? So I'm just curious, have you seen the value system shift? Have you seen the value system be informed by this awareness of how nature actually works? Or is it still, <laughs> we still have a ways
1: to go? I think yes. Yes and yes, right? Okay. In both dimensions. I have been heartened to see a much more nuanced conversation around mental health, around mm-hmm. sustainability. Around, if you don't want to use the term work-life balance, then at least the idea that life exists outside of work <laughs> in the world of startups and venture-backed uh, investors and and all of that, you know, certainly seeing books like uh, *The Anxious Achiever* come out mm. from Maura Aaron's Melee, but seeing stories like Andy Dunn's uh, at Epinobos when he's openly talking about his bipolar disorder and how, in fact, that mental illness was often encouraged and sometimes even celebrated by people in the ecosystem, that mania, that kind of always on crazy pace was rewarded Mm -hmm. and sort of seeing that in conjunction with a number of very high profile, uh, not just failures, but sort of fraudulent Mm -hmm. and or big disasters in the startup (laughs) world in the last few years. I think we're starting to really recognize that, the values, the culture that venture-backed entrepreneurship has been promoting, for the most part, are kind of unhealthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and if what we're looking for are the behaviors of people who are literally mentally ill, Mm -hmm. and we're putting that on a pedestal of like, this is what we expect, Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't seem to be a good bet for basically anyone. Right. So, I am heartened by the number of conversations that are really starting to grapple with what does healthy leadership look like? What does a sustainable lifestyle look like? And how do we make sure that entrepreneurship is not just something that only young, single people who have other sources of income can pursue? Mm. At the same time,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> I have no idea what AI is going to do. To, I mean, everything, not just startups, not just technology, like white collar jobs across the board are about to feel that same level of holy crap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the world is turning upside down that blue collar workers have been feeling for a decade or two. So the amount of disruption and change in the next five years cannot be overestimated. And I think everything is going to feel a big reshuffling. And I hope that through that, that change in that volatility and that reshuffling, we don't lose sight of sustainability and health and life mm. outside of work, because otherwise, literally, what is the point? What is the point of working yourself to death? What is the point of working yourself so hard that you burn out and then, you know, have to take yourself off the grid to right. some farm in Vermont for the next 20 years of your life, right? Like, Why are you on this rat race in order to be happy someday?
0: Right. I mean, there's a lot, and I talk about, I've I've spoken about about this in some of my previous Substack pieces, but there's a lot of this work culture that comes from the Protestant ethic, which (laughs) is deeply embedded in our culture since before the founding of America, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that AI is going to force us to reckon with that and and reckon with not just our value system, but force us to actually ask, why do we have the values that we have? What do we want to do about them? Might they have served us in a, in a different season and now are we <laughs> turning into a new season such that we might develop a new set of values whilst you know honoring the past, but being able to future-proof? Yeah. As you've said, I'm curious in terms of like your students, mm-hmm. what is the mood and the sentiment that you experience uh, from your students, like how are they navigating These very interesting and in some ways, I think very new questions Mm -hmm. that we weren't asking 20 years ago when we took for Mm -hmm. granted that the usual work till you die, produce till you die sort of mentality (laughs) was just the norm. Like, what are your
1: students like? It's funny. It sort of depends on the day that you catch them. There are days where they're like, (laughs) you know what? The world is crazy and lots of layoffs are happening and technology is, but you know, like it's it's probably going to be okay. Okay, you know, and there's certainly a level of privilege underpinning that they're kind of like, you know, we're Harvard Business School students like, yeah, (laughs) we're going to be okay, Right. There's absolutely privilege underpinning that. And then there are days that you catch them and they're like, oh, my God, like the whole world is about to get turned upside down. And how am I supposed to navigate that? Like, it's hard enough to build a life Mm -hmm. when everything else is staying still, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then you try to build a life when everything else is moving and the power structures are changing the right. learn how to surf. Yes, man. they're like what? <laughs> like what are we even doing here? Um and so there's definitely some excitement I think seeing just how crazy powerful ai is mm-hmm. and the number of things that you're like it's 2023 are we still doing this by hand like in yeah. six months the answer will be no <laughs> like that is exactly <laughs> what what we are going to be able to hand off and in those same moments of like thrill at what technology is able to do there's this fear of well then what am i going to do? Gonna give the world yeah and i think equally so are we running down this path with any guardrails in place? Has anyone thought about well, regulation, <laughs> bias in the data sets, how yeah. we're training any of these things? Like who is taking a look under in the black box? Apparently Jeff Hinton is. And he said, I'm going to head out. <laughs> yeah. So that's terrible, right? Like I, I, I sincerely believe it's like every hour, depending on when you get them, it, it's joy. It's frustration. It's terror. It's like, "Eh, we'll be okay. Right. 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 Privilege will, will protect us. (laughs) It's a lot.
0: Yeah. Are they, because they, because they have you as a teacher though, are Mm -hmm. they more inclined to think about like how how can I take responsibility for what I'm putting out into the world I sure hope so (laughs) I mean it's certainly
1: something I'm bringing up all the time and and it comes in two forms right one is like how are you taking responsibility for what you create the culture that you are putting out there the type of leader you are the, the the world that you are fueling but also, how are you taking responsibility for, for yourself and your life and and your happiness? Like if all I do is create a few uh less miserable billionaires, I think I will have done a lot for the world, right? Oh, for like sure. miser- miserable miserable billionaires sure. are a really dangerous breed. Yes, so, absolutely.
0: so there's I part just...
1: of me that's like the revolution is like making sure privileged people are not acting out their pain on other people
0: as a coping mechanism yes, <laughs> yes. I, just, I just saw the last i don't know if you follow succession
1: uh indeed
0: <laughs> indeed but i just saw last night's episode and i kept coming back to this what seems to be the perennial truth is like we talk about systemic injustice and we talk about systemic this and that but it's like these people, their own operating systems are broken. Yes. And if they had been given the tools to deal yes. with their own operating systems, everything that you see on screen would be totally different. I, I love the show because it's such a beautiful window into if you build a conglomerate, multi billion dollar business that's doing toxic stuff, you could try to comprehend it from that vantage point. But if you actually interact with the people, the the individuals who Created it, you would actually mm-hmm. understand what's going on and why yes. that dynamic is that dynamic. So, yes, I think yes fewer miserable billionaires in the world. Incredible. <laughs> feat if you could accomplish that. So, I you know you what? If that's
1: what's on my tombstone, I'll take it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, my next question for you to, to get out of the doom and gloom. Yes. Of world, um, what are you excited about? And everything that you're working on, whether it's life or work. Although for me, it's hard for me to make a distinction. (laughs) What are you excited about? What are you you optimistic about for the future?
1: I mean, as, as contradictory as this sounds, I am really excited about AI and the applications that can really, I think, change so many people's lives, whether it's all the way down to like, work it can do in medical imaging to surface, you know, things that individual doctors aren't finding or to draw the connections between worlds that we just, no one has the training or the time or the scale to kind of connect the dots in that way. It's, I'm really excited to see what can be built and what problems can be solved at scale. Um, what I am equally hopeful for is if we can free up the amount of time that, you know, I'm doing stupid crap, like (laughs) typing the same email 72 times in a week or making slides. I hate making slides. (laughs) And that means I have a few extra hours to play with my kids or to see my husband or to just walk, right? Like this is the great uh, paradox that we thought that, you know, technology would free up all of this time. And suddenly we'd all have these lies of of leisure, which we all know is not true. So this is incredibly Pollyanna-ish of me to say, but I do think that, that there's a world where we can make space for creation mm-hmm. and for rest and for art and in doing so in a way that's really intentional because we know the alternative is... We still work 80 hours a week, but now we have AI overlords, right? Like, like, (laughs) yes, we don't have to design the same thing that happened in the last technological revolution. When the internet came along, we can make different choices now. Um, And I am, I am a little bit hopeful that that awareness gives us a chance to actually maybe do the right thing this time around. Yeah. I'm also really excited about Broadway. I love Getting to be on the ground floor of new productions there. And I think there's a lot of really good work coming out, particularly after 18 months of everything being shut down during the pandemic, where there was a lot of people who got really creative Mm. and are are, we're going to see the results of that in the next two, three, four seasons, rather than this string of jukebox musicals and revivals and (laughs) the remakes of the superhero movies that were already the right like there was this kind of recycling of culture for a while that was really getting on my nerves (laughs) and i'm really thrilled about some of the truly original stuff that is coming out in the next few years
0: Can you tell me some of those original plays that are going to be that's already public, perhaps? Or
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of any of the ones that I know about that actually are public. (laughs) There there are several that are in the works. Uh, One in particular, uh, a playwright, Lauren Gunderson, who's based out in the Bay Area. She has a whole suite of interesting projects ranging from a musical about the first female senator. If I remember correctly, it was in Montana uh Jeanette uh is the name of the musical this was like a hundred years ago she inherited the seat after her husband died but like she ended up doing this incredible work as the first female senator all the way to like she has a a musical about the female supreme court justices Mm. down to like her usual uh kind of plays in the uh she likes to write a lot about science and math and astronomy and all sorts of very nerdy things so Lauren Gunderson she's one to watch
0: Hey, be on the lookout, everyone. (laughs) Okay, so my last question for you is, for those of us who are afraid, Mm -hmm. who are afraid to make the leap and even question our identity, Mm -hmm. question the preconceived notions we've attached to our identity for so long, Mm -hmm. but yet we see the coming tide, (laughs) potentially. Mm -hmm. We see see the ensuing deluge, Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: an upending that is likely going to come in some fashion or to some extent with new technology. What are some first steps we can take to overcoming that fear?
1: Yeah. So the biggest piece of advice I can offer, it's what I repeat ad nauseum to my students. The fear for most people comes from a place of, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do this wrong. And I get that. Right. We are all high achievers. We all care deeply about succeeding, but life is not a video game where there is a correct way through. Mm. And then there's a whole lot of like missteps. I don't play video games. My husband does, but I've seen, (laughs) right. Like, you know, he makes enough mistakes and he's kind of like, Oh, like I want to go back to the beginning and try again. Like now I know where the, I don't know, the Martians are or something. Um, so let me, let me try again and I'll do better this time. Right. Like that's not how life works there is no correct path. Mm-hmm. So I think changing that mindset of like, oh, I don't want to make a mistake. And instead understanding of like, just try something, mm-hmm. just make forward motion in virtually any dimension of your life. And if what you learn from making forward motion is, Oh, I didn't like that. Whether it's like, that wasn't a good relationship for me. That wasn't the right job for me. I'm not sure I really mesh with the values of that industry. I don't know if I fit in this city. Maybe, maybe I should move somewhere else. Whatever that information is, Mm -hmm. you get information from making forward motion. And then you take that and you make more forward motion. Mm -hmm. You adjust off of that information and, You take another step. And so instead of thinking of like, oh, I don't want to make a mistake. It's like, what do I need to learn next? And how can I learn it? What little step or experiment or research could I do to to learn a little bit more than I have right now? And then once I know that information, how does that change how I'm thinking about something? Mm -hmm. So if you take that approach, then even something that blows up in your face, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, wow, that was Not the right boss for me. We just, you're like, but I'm not going to beat myself up over that. I learned a ton and I left, right? I think the only way you lose (laughs) in in all of this is if you learn that something isn't for you and then you stay, Mm. right? Whether that's a a partner, a job, a boss, anything you, you learn like, ah, this isn't it. And then you don't do anything about it. Right. That's the only way you lose at life. Mm. Everything else is is the adventure.
0: Mm. So it's like a quest-based video game.
1: This is a (laughs) quest-based video game. (laughs) As though I know what that means.
0: (laughs) Open-ended not really mistake oriented. There you go. Yeah. There are no mistakes. There are only uh, learnings. Yes. There's only different missions that you can explore.
1: There you go. Very cool. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Well, is there any last thing that you'd like to
1: promote before we leave? I mean, check out the book if uh, if you're one to to like things like this, Uh, head to your library if you can't buy a copy yourself. I love libraries. I'm a big supporter. And uh, honestly, grab some sticky notes, try to work through some of the exercises. I tried to make this a really hands on practical guide. So if you can't spend an afternoon with me, eh, you can spend an afternoon with my book.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Christina Wallace, thank you so much for joining the Heart Speaks podcast. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me.